Well, again, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fourth Estate Podcast. I am your co-host, Marty Duran. And I'm Bob Smetana, the Happy Patriot fan. The Happy Patriots fan. Because there's no Patriots fan like a Happy Patriots fan, right, Bob? There's none like a Happy It's, it's Well, right now, there's no one be, Happy Patriots fan. No, you can be the... What else would you want to be? The, the all is good in the world? I we, think what most people want to be is anything except a Patriots fan. We beat the Jaguars in an exciting game. The other game was boring. Blowout. <laughs> this one was down to the last second, the last play. They never make it dull. And then they let the you know they let the Jaguars build up their dreams. We're going to beat them, and then they crush them and ground them their bones into dust. So, and in an exciting way. In an exciting way. It, it sounds exciting when you put it that way. It was exciting. It was a, it was a fun, exciting, uh, entertaining game. Fun, exciting, entertaining game. And so so it would be great if the Patriots started the, their championship run, winning three out of four, three Super Bowls in four years, and they could end it, or maybe not end it, but they could have a bookmark of winning in three out of four years. Which well, you, pretty did you historic. see that the, the North Korean news service commented? Did you see that? No, I didn't. Uh, self-styled American patriots brutally slay harmless jaguars for amusement of uncultured louts in U.S. city of Boston. <laughs> well, there was a tap, somebody from uh, that's CNN a that's is, a fake account, by the way. Someone from CNN regularly like takes cheaters and oh, they're so mean to us. Oh. Well, I'm going to protect all of you who are listening from Bob's continued maligning of every other no, football fan in America. No, I love that. I have always said the Jacksonville Jaguars played a great game. It was mm. a competitive, fun game in the last. As second. they were getting their bones ground into dust, right? At the end. Yeah. Was, okay. Yes. They, right. they did it with spirit. <laughs> okay, so um, you sent me a link to a crazy story out of uh, I guess it's Laos, Laos or Laos, Lagos, Lagos, Lagos Nigeria. On uh, megachurch cities. So, I mean, I guess we're kind of familiar with a little bit of not nearly on this scale. Um, I know that a very prominent church in Memphis a number of years ago uh, purchased a big, lot of property, built a campus, had Mm -hmm. like a retirement home and some stuff like that. Uh, There's a Methodist church not too far from where I live here in outside of Nashville that has a retirement tower. Uh, on the church property. It's kind of the denominational retirement mm-hmm. thing, though, not the church specifically, but the same denomination. Uh, where my daughter goes to school, they have a retirement tower mm-hmm. uh, on the school property, which is a denominational school. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like the uh, Nigerian megachurch city that uh, is in this article from The Guardian. So um, it's the pastor has been known in Nigeria for some number of years. He's very popular. The auditorium looks to me like a uh, kind of like a warehouse structure without sides, or at least not yeah, a, yeah. not fully sided. But that's not the. I mean, it seats. I don't. It looks like it would seat five or six thousand people. I don't know. It's enormous in the picture that's in, in the article that we'll link in the in the show notes. But it's what's happened around this. So the. The tabernacle, I guess, the building, uh, was originally like a camp. A redemption camp, I think, is the name uh, in the article. So it would be not unlike any denominational camp that dot the U.S. landscape, where churches come together over the, you know, three times during the summer. They have week-long camps for the kids. They have a preaching camp or something like that. And the kids go, and they have a good time. But this one has gone well beyond a 
you know, semi-regular gathering place for a bunch of churches in the same denomination. An entire city has sprung up around this particular uh, particular camp, and they have their own police force. They've built their own power grid. They put in their own roads. They have their own sanitation department. And basically what they're saying is that the government is either too poor or too slow to do the development that this city needs. And so we as members of this church and Christians are going to do it ourselves. Is that about the gist of it? That's about the gist of it. I mean, it's not uncommon. Like you said, it's not been uncommon in church history You go for sort of denominations to build. Mm-hmm. Like my home denomination has a camp and a retreat center, and then lots of people bought houses around it. So right. To take over sort of, you know, to kind of establish a community. Sure, sure. You know, all kinds of folks have established. And some live in those places, and some come for the summer. Come and for the some, summer, you know, yeah. Come for yes, a vacation exactly, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, you go back to Geneva, which is run by Calvin, have sort of a governmental role. But this is... Now, if you're a church of, historian, I just want to say that Bob tends to play fast and loose with church history. So if, uh, I'm just, if, if I'm he mischaracterizes they, Calvin's ownership of Geneva, please don't write a letter. Cal, Cal, they had uh, The church had a very big role in running the okay, government. Okay. Let's just say that. Let's but say that. We had the Vatican City, which is... Right. You know, both we, religious and both political, and political and economic and everything else. But there, there are communities like this all over the place where... Okay. where Francis Schaeffer's Labrie is a similar, similar, I mean, it's much, much smaller and not nearly as, you know, defined in that way, but it was the similar mindset on a smaller scale. This is sort of like the mega church version of church camp or church small town retreat community where you have like, you know, I don't know anyone who's built their own power grid and, and. 5,000 homes. Now, I don't know how strong 25 megawatts is. I mean, I have zero idea what, you know, I didn't research power grid power. But a power Uh, plant of your own and your own roads and your own police forces. uh, So, and colleges have those things, you know, big universities. So, it's kind of a merger. And and the prosperity gospel is huge in Africa. So, we think, think, you know, uh, prosperity gospel, or we think megachurches are being an American phenomenon. They're not. Mm -hmm. Some of the biggest churches in the world are, are in Nigeria or Korea, South Korea South has Korea, some, some yeah. of the biggest churches in the world, and then prosperity gospel is not just an American phenomenon; it's, right. it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, the theology of this specific church, but what came through in the article wasn't really a sense of a prosperity gospel. It wasn't as if the people being interviewed felt like that. Or, or were actually becoming rich. What they were doing yeah. was gaining employment. They were finding they had a way to start their own businesses. So this city that sprang up around this church in this camp, and as they were developing uh, infrastructure and all that, um, people began to find ways. Well, two things happened that I noticed. Outside businesses like banking uh, would put branches in this mm-hmm. area yeah. because there was so much commerce that was going on. They found it advantageous to go ahead and open a branch in the in the church city, whatever they're calling redemption camp. Um, so that was one thing. But the other thing was they started kind of a micro business, uh, micro loan business or small business administration mm-hmm. of their own. One specific example was a lady I think who was selling palm oil or something like that. And by allowing them to live on the facility, it's almost like a mixed use development here yes, in yes, the yes. states but with a church at the center of all the activity rather than a local government yes. uh, with a mayor and all that. In this situation, I guess the pastor is probably the mayor functionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that about right? Yeah, yeah. And the church go church runs things. So they here's pick up here's the trash. Here's the yeah. They have their own sanitation thing, which you know, some parts of uh, some parts of every country struggle uh, with sanitation. Uh, so to hear that a church is putting priority on sanitation yes. is kind of kind of interesting. Um, but there's two things when I first when I read the article, besides just being blown away by the sheer size of things and the audacity to try something like this, two things came immediately to mind. First was this really sounds like something that would appeal to a lot of Christians worldwide. If you really sat down with them and said, if you could live in a place where the church was the center of the community and almost all of your neighbors were Christians and you could start a business and you could have help starting your business and everybody was taking care of everybody. Would you want to live in a place like that? I think most Christians would say, well, of course I'd want to live in a place like that. So that was the first thing that came to my mind was this is, I think you referred to it before we came on is, is the, the, uh, super Benedict option or something yes. like the Uber Benedict option. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the second thing that came to my mind was aside from prosperity gospel, which we won't go I mean, I don't intend to go any farther with a critique of that. It's just the long-term possibility of actual cult-like behavior and adoption. Because you've got this one hyper-charismatic person, and I'm not mean that theologically, I mean personality-wise. Uh, and his, ma, his, his wife is called Mummy Go, I think is their yeah, nickname. Mom, Pastor Go, yeah, yeah. Mummy Go, or something like that. Uh, so you've got this situation, and, and I'm, I'm clearly not saying it's a cult. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that kind of coming together and commitment to live together like that can turn in, can develop cult-like tendencies. So you do a lot of studying on cults. You, you enjoy being a pseudo-cult expert. Uh, I didn't see any cats in any of the pictures, so I don't know if cat <laughs> cult has made it that far or not. But... What what should an outside observer be looking at in a situation like this to know that it's gone from uh, a Christianized type of movement, whether you agree with their basic theology or not, mm-hmm. to something that's actually becoming would would be becoming more of a danger for people to so, join? So <clears throat> I would think you'd be looking for what ways did the are the sort of secular powers of police. Uh, ability to live in a community are ceded to the church, and what? Because every church has politics. Right? So, how much of how much personal control, <clears throat> control do you does see the, the leader have, and, and okay. how much harm can the church do to members who, if they disagree, right? So, you see this out uh, west, where you have these kind of fundamentalist Mormon mm-hmm. communities, where uh, polygamous Mormons. So, yeah. there, there's kind of an offshoot of the Mormon church where you can only live in certain houses if you were a member of the group. And you can only get power if you were a member of the group. Like you're talking about electricity? Yeah, electricity. Or water. You can get water. You can get water. So, the and that was was not a church-run... It was a church-run city, not church-owned city. Okay. So, in this case, you have a church-owned city. Um, There are... There's a big... So that, so, that, yeah, so so anyway, so yeah. if a person, so if the rule is that to live in whatever mega to yeah. live in Redemption Camp yes. City, that you have to be a member of that church, yes, and a member in good standing. Now, if a person comes to that city, they buy their house or they're renting a room or whatever, 
under those circumstances. Yes. And then they say, no, I don't want to be a member of this thing anymore. I think the whole thing's a charade. I'm yes. an atheist now. Then I don't think have, removing that person indicates cult-like tendencies because no. there was a business relationship yes. that kind of superseded the church or at least was outside the parameters of the yes. church. I think where it comes in is when the, the leadership begins to force behaviors, mm -hmm. restrict behaviors, and if you can't even say or think certain things without it being offensive to the religious leader, then you've crossed the line. Or as you indicated, using the police to force behaviors or things like that, then you're getting over into a different thing than yeah. just church. Yeah, so if you, have, if you have, like I had some friends that lived in a group called Jesus People USA. It's mm -hmm. kind of a Christian commune. Is that in they Chicago? They in Chicago. They're in businesses. They have, who is the Res Band? Res Band. Yeah. Right. yeah. Good, good, good folks. They do all kinds of great work. Yeah. They have a big shelter. They're still around today. But some, you know, and when you joined in the first days, or if you grew up there, it was like you're in for good. Mm -hmm. We'll take you from cradle to grave. They even had an old folks home They wow. that they bought, and they were caring for people. But the idea was you could always stay there. Right. So they had the same leaders for years and years and years. Well, eventually the leaders sort of changed the rules. That was a year-to-year -year commitment. So you had people who were like in their late 30s early 40s coming into a kind of leadership role saying, wait, what if, what if we did something different? Yeah. And the leaders who've been there forever saying, no, we're not doing anything different. Well, and they're like, if you don't like it, you know, at the end of your year, you can leave. And mm -hmm. they're like, wait, we put our whole lives in this. Yeah. You've invested so much of your life into something. Like, you know, I may not have retirement, may not own something with the, the they made a promise to you, we'll do an exchange. Mm -hmm. Then if the leaders can change the, terms of the exchange and you have no ability to agree or disagree mm -hmm. you just that can be troubling and they had they had some conflict there they wound up in out. court i mean they have to go to court uh, or they didn't want to court, but a lot of people left and yeah. so they had big turnover and so they in every community every does it even exist anymore it still exists now it's still going well okay. but i think i think they probably had to redefine yeah uh, in this case now you have a police uh and an employer so if you're mm -hmm. if your church is also your employer, is also the police, mm -hmm. is also um, the power department. That's a lot of control. And we know that politics and but power wouldn't some people, people. But wouldn't some people just look at that as like, you know, heaven on earth or... It could be. It could be heaven know, or hell on earth. This is just a bigger, bigger uh, example of Jesus and the disciples. I mean, it, it could be, yes. Aren't so, some people going to think about it like that? Yes. And it could be good. I'm not saying this is bad. This is a really interesting thing. The things to watch... If we're watching, like, what could go wrong? What yeah. could go wrong is the, the when there is, so when I started studying kind of, kind of weird religious groups, I had an expert say, basically, if you have a leader who is only accountable to God, has no accountability, then you have lots of risk factors. Yes. Yeah. So the risk factors in this, there could be great. I mean, you could have, you could have years and years of great development, mm -hmm. or you could have trouble if, if the, if all the power becomes in one person. Yeah. And then if you say, hey, pastor so-and-so, you shouldn't have done that. Well, the pastor so-and-so can taken out by say, the chief of police. Yeah, he could have you arrested. He yeah. could, you could lose your home. You, yeah. you, could, you, could, you could misuse the secular authority to, for religious ends. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Second thing, um, the Pope apparently has become concerned about fake news. And uh, there's an article in the New York Times this week, I think. Yes. Um, that uh, is entitled 
for Pope Francis, fake news goes back to the Garden of Eden. Isn't that awesome? Which I thought was an interesting, uh, interesting. First line, the serpent of the garden in the Garden of Eden hissed the first fake news to Eve. And it all went downhill from there. Pope Francis writes in a major document about the phenomenon of fake news released on Wednesday. Quote, we need to unmask what could be called the, quote, snake tactics, unquote, used by those who disguise themselves in order to strike at any time and place, uh, end of quote. I would venture to say that this is not the Pope's best writing. No. I do like it. Snake news. Hashtag snake news is good. Of and course you do. I think that's awesome. And I think he's trying to, to say, like, um, we should be less interested. We should be less interested. The Pope is not a big fan of clickbait. Right? He's not a fan of the most. Well, he's probably the victim of it every now and then. He's been a victim of it, but he doesn't want you to... There's a way to tell a story in the most. I just want you to. It's, I just want to go on record as saying that I was anti fake news before the Pope was anti. I was anti. We were both anti fake. We're all anti fake so news. But he should have called us and asked to be so, on the podcast. So what is it? So I we should ask questions. Famous. We should ask like, what is fake news? What is news that is true but misleading? Mm-hmm. What are because we. Okay, we if you're a long time listener yes. of this podcast, you know the whole reason this podcast exists yes. was because. Uh, I grew concerned, not just about the existence of fake news, but the prevalence at which Christians believed it and shared it. Yes. And uh, what I felt at the time, and still do to some degree, that it wasn't really that difficult to find the truth in a news story if you just took the time to look for it. And so we've, over the course of the couple of years this this podcast has been online, uh, we've talked, or mostly me, have talked about Confirmation bias and bad reporting and bad writing and terrible sources and all those kinds of things. <laughs> uh, now that Bob, the professional journalist, actual journalist, has uh, joined the team here, uh, I think it would be good for you to kind of walk listeners through the process of how a news story gets made in a, for lack of a better term, which we'll just say a traditional press outlet. So... Uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic Magazine, the Tennessean newspaper, which is our hometown paper, the Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, a major news agency that actually places some value on getting it right because they believe, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. that their subscriber base is going to be affected by their ability to, to rightly report the news. Yes. So in a, in a process, like in, a, in an organization like that, what does the news gathering, writing, publishing process look like? So Try to keep it under three hours. I'll keep it under three hours. It depends on a number of factors. Depends if we're talking about breaking news, mm-hmm. you know, a plane crashes, you know, the 9-11. Right. So, you know, someone dies. Uh, there's a process of, you hear something. Basically, you're out in the community you're online, you're doing all this reporting. The, what you do as a reporter is you go out and find it. You're like a scout. Right. You're looking around, you find all this stuff. Then you hear things or you see things and you come back and report them. Now, you might hear something and then you go back and confirm them. You don't just say, oh, uh, I heard like the Tom Petty. I don't remember Tom Petty. Yeah, he died three, he three died. times before he died. Now, he was in a coma and he was in an overdose and he, they had officially announced him dead. Right. He was... But CBS or somebody proclaimed somebody, yeah, it. Yeah, said he was dead, and it was a few hours before he was dead. Right. So, so you, you're trying to go and say, I've heard this thing. Let's go find out if it's true. You find right. two or three sources to confirm, is this true? You can go directly. Say somebody, 
uh, resigned from a college in town. Say the president of Vanderbilt resigned. Okay. You would call Vanderbilt's PR office. Right. And, or the president's or office. Communications say, office. office and say, right. is the president, you know, has he resigned right. or has she resigned? Are they still there? So some things you can confirm easier. Um, so you try and confirm it and then you try and talk to people. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. And how do they react to it? Um, but you want to make sure, like, what you're printing. Nobody wants to print something that's wrong. Right. That's the, <laughs> like, factually wrong. What's harder is you, when stories are factually right, but you're trying to figure out what they mean. Mm -hmm. So um, you get a report and you try and say, what does this actually mean? Or a lawsuit is filed. I can find a lawsuit that says so-and-so did what, you know, some pastor did terrible things. Okay. Or some community leader. Then you have to go and figure out. Okay, because anyone can file a lawsuit. You've got to try and confirm, are the, the facts, you could report the facts in that mm -hmm. lawsuit, and, or, okay, so and that can, hear... I can read that and I can say, oh, is that true? And you're trying, you're, you're a judge, there's a judgment in the office to mm -hmm. go, the editors, so the reporters come in and say, hey, I think it's a story, and the editor goes, I don't know, find out, they're going to interrogate you, like, right. Tell me all the details. So when you when you wrote for the Tennessee and you just didn't write something, then go to the website and post the web post it on the no, website. No, I want to talk blog. to somebody first. Oh, okay. But once in a while, I mean, once in a while we do like a breaking news kind yeah. of thing. But I I talk to someone else and read this story first. But in a normal situation, in a in a normal time of history, yes, people would understand or, or tend to understand. Yeah. That breaking news might be updated or changed yes, later, yes, yes, yes. because it was inherent in a fast cycle yes. that you were going to either mishear something or type. You know, there's a typo, or yeah. somebody just get, your source just gets something completely wrong, like that poor uh, poor schmuck at CNN. Uh, when the Boston bombing yes, happened, yes. And somebody told him something that was way, way off. off. Yes, yeah. And he reported it for quite some time until they finally issued a clarification or a correction. So, um, so there is an expectation, I think, for most people that in breaking news, there is a possibility of a mistake. You need mm -hmm. to really keep a, you know, hold it loosely and wait for corrections and further information yeah. to come in. But if something has gone through a reporting process, so yes. if it's, you know, the Boston Globe Spotlight team, yeah. or if it's, you know, a special report that's going to be on the right-hand side of the front yes. page above the fold, then that's not breaking news. That seems to indicate that an amount of time yes. from two days to two weeks to a year has gone into the preparation <laughs> of this story. <clears throat> so there seems to be some confusion or at least a, an unwillingness anymore in, in, in American culture. I don't know how far outside <coughs> you know, if the Pope's issuing uh, papal bulls on fake news, then maybe he perceives that it's farther than America. But, um, but at least in American culture, there there isn't much of a willingness to distinguish between this is breaking news and there, it might be updated later. So yes. I need to think about it and look at several other sources versus a long form article that says this this article was you know five years in the making and we yes. you know we interviewed forty two thousand people yes. uh, getting ready for this. And um, and people look at it like with the same amount of skepticism, same skepticism. Yeah. or even cynicism. Like nobody's going to be right about anything. And and I've heard recently people saying, "Well, how do you even know who's right?" Well, that's what you should you should ask when someone says something. You should ask how they how do you know? That's one of the questions you should ask. Like someone says so and so, mm -hmm. if it's a statistic or news story, this happened. You say, "How do you know that?" And you ask them, and the reporter should be able to tell you. 
Here's how we know. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're reporting a story, you're going to cite experts, you're going to cite actual documents. I mean, the best thing to have is written, actual, document, written documentation, yeah, yeah. recordings of people saying certain things, face-to-face -face interviews, mm -hmm. you know. Like, it's easy to report on a football team. The scoreboard will say, yeah. so and so teams There's ahead. 42,000 witnesses. 40, yeah, 42,000 witnesses. Yeah. That's like, um, but think, <clears throat> let, me, let me talk about, let's talk about uh, fake news. I'll give you a story which was not, which was true but not accurate. Okay. And it's, it's just one of my favorite ones. So several years ago, uh, military chaplains started reporting that they could not get on the Southern Baptist Convention's website. Okay. They've got this thing, so dangerous content, basically. Yes. On the I think I remember that. <clears throat> this came up, and so a reporter said, oh, the Pentagon has labeled Baptist as dangerous <laughs> content, and then beginning a reaction. Right. What do you think? Oh, we see this is another thing of the government is hostile to religion. Fit right. into the frame. They never asked, why is, this is what you do if you're, Another approach, yeah. I think a better approach, is just to call the Pentagon and say, right. What's going, do you know that you can't get through to these folks? Right. Uh, well, they're like, yes, we're aware of the problem. We're not blocking them, so we're going to find out. So then you, you, you talk to other folks. Have you had this experience? What's going on? So it breaks on one day. The next day, the Pentagon calls me. Hey! There's malware on the Southern Baptist Convention site. Yeah. You call the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, there's malware on the yeah. site. It's a <laughs> virus blocker saying <laughs> dangerous con So right. all the words in the first report were correct. Right. Chaplains couldn't get on. A message came up saying dangerous content. Uh, people were angry about it. They suspected the governments. Those were all factually true. Right. Was the story accurately portraying what was happening with all the details. Was it well reported? No. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing. You can know something's happening and then you go and say, but the problem is, like, well, I, can I can remember a very specific, uh, and I'll just say Breitbart because it's one of the worst websites on the entire internet as far as accuracy and reporting. And I remember last year, and I may have actually written a, a post on this, where uh, it was a very, very negative, uh, article about refugees. I think this was in Sweden. And there were, I mean, it was just inundated with links, outbound links. And so it was so many that there's no way you could click them all. But I remember one of the sentences said, even in this little town and wherever it was, Norway or Sweden or wherever, um, the government has confiscated uh, private buildings and isn't, uh, isn't compensating the... Uh, Letting refugees stay there for free at the cost of the owner, and um, and throwing out the the residents and the renters, and I was like, wow, that does sound kind of extreme. So I clicked on the link, the link that they themselves provided, and the story was to a local and English language yeah. local paper. So it wasn't like you know Voice of America; it was an English language local paper in Sweden or or Norway, wherever, and. The story was actually exactly the opposite of what was portrayed yes. in the Breitbart article. And it actually said that the government contacted like warehouse owners in this town that had vacant space and then offered to pay the owners to allow the refugees to stay there. Totally 180 from what had been reported at Breitbart. Yeah. So to me, that's fake 
Yes, that's it. I mean, it's just completely made up. It's agenda-driven. Yes, yes. Um, So there has to be a way to distinguish between that and a a mistake. Like, the the mistake you described is pretty egregious. I mean, mistake or not, that's pretty egregious. Um, But it didn't didn't necessarily have to come from from ill intent. Yes. The article at Breitbart was ill intent. It was a, a total distortion of the facts. For the end of publishing an article yes. that led to a conclusion that was false. Yes. So there's like this is a, so when we talk about news, we have like uh, agenda driven news, which is false, which is propaganda. Yes. Propaganda. There is uh, agenda driven news, which is right, but the conclusions may be may or may not be the correct ones. Okay. But they, they have they've got a certain facts, but at least they're based in facts. That person has an agenda. There is. Reporting, which is facts, which is mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's reporting that is reliable uh, but contentious. Mm-hmm. There's reporting that's just really good, and we know, and they can be on that whole scale. And we should develop. People, we should develop like on. I mean, a scale. You're yeah. starting to laugh, but we we should develop a scale. Yeah. That distinguishes all these things because people don't. That I think the average person when they're consuming media content. And we'll just say news. When they're, they're not, they don't always realize how an adverb affects yes. the story. They don't. Have, they don't understand how using the word egregious, like I just did, yes. uh, as opposed to. So if a, if a reporter says uh, the governor uh, told an egregious lie uh, in his in his stump speech, yes. Well, that's a whole different thing than saying the governor used a quote that was incorrect in his stump speech. Yes. Now. Either one of those could be true, or both of them could be wrong. Yes. But one of them is a very negative way of portraying something yeah. that was said. And I think a lot of people today, so much opinion has crept into news writing. Yes. That people don't realize when it, when it is opinion often. Yeah. And when it is news writing. So and, there, and there's columnists too. Columnists yeah. Op eds are totally different. Totally different. Yeah. So the way I look at way I consume news, I don't really consume it. I read it. I watch it. Then I try and figure out the sources. If you think like a reporter. The way you process the, the news. process the news. I think like a reporter. I want to know, oh, someone says this, this, this. How did they get that? When I'm in church, the pastor starts telling some anecdote. I'm mm. like, did that really happen? Yeah. That doesn't sound true. I'm going to go find that. It's, it's a preacher story. It's, I'm going to go find out. The <laughs> I would never tell preacher <laughs> stories, dude. Preacher stories. You go, you, you just got to think. So, so a headline is never enough to understand the whole story, you go and you read the story and say, do they have the facts? Because there are things you know, if you're a reporter, the things you know that you know that you have data for, mm-hmm. the things that you know that you can't report because you don't have enough background for them, mm-hmm. the things you know that aren't important, that are important to other people. So any story that you personally know about, say it's your church that's in trouble or your denomination or your party, you involves people you know. You might know more details yeah. of how the because what you're doing with a reporter is you go out and find the information, you assemble it. You're gonna have to figure out what is central and what's not central, um, and then you're going to report it in the shortest space possible. You're only gonna have six, seven hundred words, say, in most news stories, unless you're doing a long thing. And a tweet is like, you know, a couple hundred characters. Yeah. So 
you are trying to get all the details you can. Now, your experts are being concise, but you're going to leave out something. Like, uh, my home denomination just had a fight over a minister who got suspended. Mm -hmm. They got suspended, and at a they were the pastor or the campus chaplain. They got suspended. Um, and so, so people have been writing about it in Chicago. It's a big story. Well, they got they got suspended because they broke a rule of the the board of ministry that centralized denominational mm -hmm. authority said, "Oh, you broke the rule, you suspended." The college employed that pastor because, and part of their employment was that you had to have a credential that was valid. Okay. So there was a there's a process driven. There's a dispute over whether what they did was right. There are larger cultural disputes that was all involved in all those things. True. So one of the stories didn't have uh, this detail mm -hmm. over they were suspended because they didn't have a valid uh, ordination. Anyway, okay. That was an, oh, see, that's the whole story. So my friends who all know these people are like, right. no, no, no. And technically they're right. That's an important part. Yeah. That's an important part. But the reporter said, well, I'm going to report on all the people involved and the kind of bigger picture issues, because that's really what it is. Right. This process, there's also the what people, there's also dispute. She reported on the bigger part. And the story that the, the denomination wanted to tell is like, hey, they broke a rule. They get suspended like everybody else who breaks a rule, which is true. So there's a dis distinction if you are in an insider you and every insider in every organization is going to have different views of what's the right. most important parts. So, but we're kind of talking. I mean, some of this. <laughs> this is technical. Yeah, but some of this is a difference also between um, an unrecognized bias, maybe on the yes. on the part of the reporter, which is important, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the person is telling a lie. Yes, yes. Um, I, you know, part of it is, you know, if I read Dan Rather, I know yeah. that Dan Rather is a liberal. And there's a possibility that he's going to be writing with the, with an, there's a specific side of a story he wants to convey yes. that supports what he thinks is the most important part of the story, yes. important part of the story. It doesn't mean it's the whole story. And so on the other side, you know, pick somebody who's more concerned, a Brit Hume uh, is, you know, he's reporting something. Well, if you know that Brit Hume is basically a conservative, then you're going to recognize that there's, there's parts of the news cycle that he's going to, to emphasize because he thinks they're the most important parts. Yes. That's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just who he is and what he deems is important. So those are biases. Yes. And you can write with a bias. You can report with a bias. Uh, every story that's determined not to go into the news cycle, there is some amount of bias that mm -hmm. goes into it, yes. even if it's we don't consider this to be as important as the other yes, stories. All choices so there's like, there's all kinds of what we would call bias that really is the way that we view something that causes us to determine its importance. Yes. And by extension, its importance we think to other people. Yes. So biases I mean they can be recognized. I don't think they can ever be overcome. Not not really. Yeah. But that's different than an agenda. That's different than a lie. Yes. That's different, different than, than a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That's different than an intentional effort to yes. mislead. Yes. Uh, so, so there's a lot of factors that play into this. And so when somebody just up and says, well, you can't trust name your source because they're two liberal conservative centrists, you know, out there, yeah. right wing, left wing. Well, you, since you can't get away from all of those ever yeah. completely, 
it seems to me that the best thing is to, is to try to recognize and then get a balance of your media diet yes. to where if you're going to watch Fox News, then the balance to Fox News is not Breitbart and the Drudge Report. <laughs> the balance to Fox News would be maybe um, CNN or then NPR in the middle to be the referee between yes. the two of them. Or if you read a long-form story in the New York Times, maybe you look and see if there's a similar long-form story in The Nation or in The Atlantic mm -hmm. or something like that, that the writer is going to cover potentially a different set of facts yeah. around the same idea. So I agree with the Pope yeah. that fake news is, is a, oh, bad, a bad thing. Uh, I don't think that it's insurmountable. Uh, I did read a tweet from Radley Balco today. I don't know if you know him or not, but he's kind of a, uh, his specialty is in like law enforcement, but he also deals a lot with news and reporting. He's a, he does Washington Post columns yeah. sometimes. Um, he wrote that if you go to, I think he used Fox and, and MSNBC, mm -hmm. for example. He said Fox and M MSNBC right now, each of them have former U.S. attorney generals, not attorney generals, U.S. attorneys, former U.S. attorneys on their shows, each of them using the law to explain why two totally different things are true. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he was talking about the Russia investigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he just says sometimes even the law gets politicized. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, it, so it's not enough. The, the worst thing you can do is trust a news source without ever being critical of it. I don't care which one it is. They all make mistakes. Some of them more egregious than others. I'll use that word since it's my word, yes. word of the hour. Some more egregious than others. But some are just rushed, a mistake, uh, you know, a foot fault. Not everything is trying to bring down the government. Yeah, you know? No, no. And I, I think... Sometimes I, I just I think of, like, I try to tell people how news comes together. Because I often hear, like, why isn't some story getting played? Mm -hmm. Why isn't this getting played? Some of it is the response of the public. The public the public reads the story and they don't want to read it. They're not going to read it right now. now that plays into clicks and money. Clicks, I mean, clicks and money. Yeah. But right now, it's a little bit like putting together a newspaper or a news site or whatever. It's like grocery shopping and cooking dinner. You go to the store. You only have so much money. Right. You only have so much time. You know what your audience wants to eat, what they will eat, right. how much you can buy. So you buy those, you cook it, you put it out there. You're going to do another one tomorrow. You're going to do another one tomorrow. You probably have some habits that you like, but it is a, at a baseline, there's a whole process that goes into judgment every mm -hmm. step of the way. Like, is this the, and then, then you have uh, what are certain groups more interested in. Yeah. So there's that part of it that is, um, they're just trying to get the thing out the door. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, there were two newspapers in Atlanta. This used to be true of a lot of yes. major cities. There was a morning paper that was Atlanta Constitution. There was an evening paper that was Atlanta Journal. My dad took the Atlanta Journal for years and years yeah. and years. They eventually merged. The Atlanta Constitution was known for having a more liberal editorial board. The Atlanta Journal was known for having a more conservative editorial board. And I can't help but think that some of the stories were just written from two different perspectives because, if I remember correctly, they were in the same building in downtown Atlanta, 72 Marietta Street. Yes. And so oh, the, yeah, that's often the, the, published, the, the papers themselves were probably printed on the exact same printing press. Oh, yeah, sure they were. And, you know, one went out in the morning, one went out in the afternoon. Uh, but now you don't, you don't often have in a major city 
two newspapers with two, I don't, you know, it sounds bad to say, you know, overtly or whatever, but one with one particular bent and one with another particular bent, they, they either merged or got bought up by bigger uh, entities. So now you have one major newspaper and whatever its bent is, is what you got. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, for me, the takeaway is um, if, if you ultimately, if you want to find out the truth about a news story, go to several different sources that you know you're going to disagree with some of them, mm-hmm. or at least you think you're going to, and then look at the facts that are presented. Don't don't look necessarily the author. Don't look to see whether they like the person that's being reported on. Look and look at the content of the story. Look how the story's written. Mm-hmm. Look and look and see if there's a lot of opinion in the story, and then compare. As a friend of mine says, put the articles side by side if you have to, and see who makes the strongest argument, and then let you know, trust that one. I mean, this is how you buy a car. You yeah. can do the car news like you buy a car. You want to buy a car? You read about you read the people's reactions to it. You read about different cars. You sort it through. We have a great ability to process things. Right. You read an article. You, you don't just buy the first car you see. Some, some well, like. well, but that goes. I yeah. mean, that's a really good illustration, and here's why: because my dad is Ford man. Yeah. All right. Like, uh, what's his name in a Christmas story was an yeah. Oldsmobile man. Yes. You know, my dad is a Ford man. He worked for Ford. He retired from Ford. And every car that I've ever known him to buy on purpose was a Ford. All right. So when I'm not a Ford man, I'm a what's the car I want? What's going to give me what I'm in a particular yeah. season of life? What do I need? And what are my options? And so I'll go to Auto Trader. And I'll do the comparison thing. Then I'll read reviews at Motor Trend and Car and Driver and everywhere else. And I'll find out that what I can get for that season of life, what I'm looking for. My dad will not do that. Yes. He's going to go to the Ford dealer. Yes, I get it. And buy a Ford. Yes. So when we do that from media, then we just get locked into whatever Ford, New York Times, Washington Post, whatever those have to order to offer if we never expand outside that one or that segment, then we're going to miss a lot of facts that are what I lovingly refer to as true facts. True facts, uh, yes. We're going to miss a lot of true facts because we're not comparing the breadth of available information. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Yeah. And, and take a breath. You hear a story. You see something. We all have the times in life. We saw something. Right. We jumped in full force. What do we feel? Bit, I will say there's a lot of thin reporting right now. Something comes out, and this is a problem of cable news where it's all talking heads. Something comes out, we're already talking about what it means. We don't even know if it's true. I think you need to spend more time thinking, is this true? What did they mean when they said those words? That's funny that you use that because (laughs) two of my favorite favorite movies are uh, All the President's Men and Spotlight, Mm -hmm. obviously about media, newspaper reporting. And in both of those movies, they use the word thin. To refer yeah. to a story oh, well, that doesn't have too. all yes. of its facts together yet. Yes. So, ah, it feels thin. feels yes. thin to me. I mean, if you're doing an important story, I mean, there are different, and there are different kind of levels of story. If you're doing an important story about an uh, uh, um, issue of substance that's complicated, you've got to report the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And then people will read the heck out of it. Yeah. If you're just saying, like, who won the game or what did the stock market end up today, which are important things, but they're easier to report because of the, you don't need as much... Yeah, I mean, you can look at scoreboard. And go, hey! If you say the stock market went up twenty five points, I can go to like three different sites and see where you. And I can see the stock market. Exactly. Hey, you know, if I want to find out, <laughs> did you know a uh, you know public official 
break the law, do things they're not supposed to do. Uh, is there, you know, is there water unsafe? Or mm-hmm. people doing, you know, like we had at Murfreesboro, we had the sheriff who was had an investment in the company that had those surprising um, telephone services to employ. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, inmates, right? So he had his own he's, sign, he's he had his own, own LLC running the phone service, the phone yeah. service, and making money on yeah. those. Well, you can't just report that because you saw a document. You're going to go spend a lot of time yeah. like making sure this is true because there are things of substance. Right. So, and, but if you have things of substance, don't assume that they're wrong, and don't assume the person's agendas in the way because they're a human being they're going to be you know they got up that morning yeah it all goes back to, to read what they wrote and, and spend do a little research yeah and, uh, all right well this has been the fourth state podcast with me marty duran and me bob santana and you can follow either one of us on twitter uh just our names at marty duran at bob smetana s-m-i-e-t-a-n-a or the podcast uh twitter twitter account is uh, at T4E Podcast. And if you think that we should have some funky, hippie music, you should say, go to go to the well, any of those uh, Twitter accounts and hashtag Free Bob's Music. Because we need, <laughs> or give us hippie music for a theme song. I'm going to remind Bob that there's an editorial process to the decision making. <laughs> we have to let the people speak. Let the people speak. Let the Free people the speak. Music. So uh, anyway, until next time, this, uh, this has been The Fourth State, and I hope you enjoyed it.